Hello and welcome to the Glampshire Podcast, where we talk about the experiential outdoor hospitality industry and glamping. I'm your host, Bobby Marsden. We are excited to bring you the season finale of season two of the Glampshire Podcast. If it's your first time here, welcome. If you've been following along, then you've been following both Jesse and Etienne's journey as they both work towards opening up their Glampshuaries for the very first time this summer. Hint, hint, they both succeeded. And you know what? We thought, let's get everyone together and celebrate that success. Plus, we're going to talk about what we all think of the future of the travel industry and how these glamshuaries could be impactful and be a positive part of that. So without further ado, let's dive into the season finale of season two of the Glamshuary podcast with Etienne White and Jesse Raisler. Jesse and Etienne, together at last. <laughs> Amazing, right? So nice to meet you. Well, virtually, at least. It's great to meet you. I'm excited to be in conversation with you, like real time, and ask you some questions. We've got a lot in common, I think. Yeah, shared mm-hmm. uh, shared experiences to, to mm-hmm. chew on, for sure. Well, this is exciting for me, obviously, for many reasons. Uh, it's been a joy to be speaking with you both individually and and. And obviously for me, I'm also experiencing them both. And so I was really excited just to be able to get you guys together so we can kind of have this wrap up, uh, if you will, or sitting around a campfire, just having a casual conversation about what you've accomplished, which is amazing, by the way. So congratulations to both of you for what you pulled off, both on different timelines, but very similar situations. You're both in Wisconsin. You both have backgrounds in advertising. You both are still working in those professions. You both have children. That's so much the balance and you guys have been able to manage to do so much. And I can only imagine how difficult it was to manage all of that. What's that like for you guys? I mean, now that you've open, open, you've had guests coming in, you're starting to see what that workflow is all about. You still have all those other things going on. I'd love to start off with just how has that been for you guys uh, keeping all those plates spinning? Um, well, I could start like it's um, prioritization and then delegating, which I've learned to do owning a business, you know, in, in, in video production, film and television. Like that's something I've learned over time is like, OK, let's make a list. And then which of these things can you can you get, bring in help and delegate and, you know, priorities and where do those things overlap? I mean, there are things that from the film work lead into the, the property work and bringing our kids. We love bringing our kids out to the property and fishing or biking. So there's everything sort of overlaps with each other. But I think in terms of getting the things done and moving the things forward, um, you know, looking at where, where can I add the most value? What are things that I can have someone help out with? Like on a production, we have people that, you know, help get us the permits we need or the things that we're doing there. So I've, I've had a wonderful person helping me with, you know, coordinating logistics. Her name is Anne. And I think that's been a huge, huge help to me. And then looking at what can I do? What can Jen do? Um, what are the things we want to experience there with our kids and just finding that harmony? And it certainly takes time. You don't like make all the right choices out of the gate. But um, I think it's just, a lot of it's just learning over time and then prioritizing what you want to what you want to tackle and what you can't or what, what might you delay until next season, that sort of thing. At the end, how about you? Uh, you? You're on a farm, so there's a few things you're taking care of that Jesse doesn't have, like like lamb and sheep, for instance. So, <laughs> how how was it for you when you were getting involved in this? You know, it was the idea phase, and it kind of came to fruition. Then you really had to put the gas pedal down and go pretty quickly while you still were managing your children and, and your other profession. Yeah. How was that experience for you? Yeah, actually, it worked out. I mean, okay, I'm still here. Everyone's here, and it happened. So I think it worked out all right. 
Um, it was actually sort of fortunate on the one hand that the winter, you know, you couldn't, you know, when I found out that I'd been awarded the grant, I couldn't just literally hit the ground running or break ground, as it were, because we had the winter. And so that gave me a lot of time to go back and forth on the zoning, planning, permits, really understanding all the paperwork. And I actually had a friend who helped me with all of that, too. Um, and so we would get together in the winter, you know, and kind of push through all that. And then actually, um, you know, I, I wish that I could have started building sooner than I did, but it worked out okay in the sense that it was the summer holidays or summer vacation, as you would say here. Um, so the children didn't have school. And so we had a lot going on here, but I had the children around me. Um, and so it wasn't kind of running back and forth and trying to do after school activities or any of that. The downside is, I would say, if you were to ask my children, you know, they say this has been the most boring summer they've ever had. Um, and so <laughs> there were some days where it was like, I have nothing to occupy you with, but there's 34 acres here, like go out and find something. So I'm so busy. Um, and then, as I've said before, there were days where, you know, I'd be getting up at five in the morning to get an extra coat of paint on before the contractors came at eight or staying up late at night. And likewise, if during the day I'd had to work on, you know, the OMG Airbnb project, I would maybe stay up late at night and be doing my consulting work, you know, my laptop work when the kids were in bed. So there was a lot to juggle in that sense. But um, I'm also really glad that there was a timeline on it. I think you know, if I hadn't had the sort of pressure of there is a deadline and I spoke in the last one about how a few weeks late on that deadline, but there were no penalties associated with it, thankfully. Thank you, Airbnb. But um, but I think having that time pressure of like you have to be open by such a time um, was a good thing. And then lastly, um, I think that so much of I think so much of having a life in balance is knowing what to say no to. And so even though I love hosting people out at the farm because it is our personal home and because I do have responsibilities during the week, it is only open on the weekends right now. And next summer, might that change? Sure, it might change. But for right now, I, I only have it open on the weekends because that's the only time I can really welcome people here, show them a tour of the farm and not have, you know, a million other kind of balls that I'm juggling, if you will. And I know it's different for you, Jesse, because yours is very kind of self-contained and and the same with my Airbnb cottage that I have in a village, you know, a half hour away. That's open all week long. You can book it for a week. You can book it for a month. Um, but this right now is just on weekends only. And that's another way that I'm able to get balanced. So I think, you know, we're especially women, we're kind of sold this dream of you can have it all. And we have these, you know, Pinterest perfect lives or Instagram perfect lives. And um, I, I just think it's a fallacy. And so you have to say no to something. So I'm saying no to midweek guests um, in the cheese cabin. And that's that's one of the big decisions I've had to make that I think allows me to have balance now. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and you both, as I just mentioned, and you've talked about, you have other professions and sources of income and that these glamping operations are not your prime drivers. So I think it does probably offer you the opportunity to be choosy when you want to engage in that experience. Do you ever envision uh, perhaps transitioning all the way in to glamping or is that something that you really just need to, to get your feet wet a little bit more and, and decide if that's really the direction you want to choose or perhaps maybe this is the balance that you might continue with? That's a great question. I definitely know that, you know, kind of in my heart, and we talked about this in earlier episodes, I want this 
farm to be something I can offer more people. And I think more, I think, you know, being out in nature is a sort of a human right, if you will, and more people should be able to do it more often than they are right now. And also more people should know about how their food is being raised and what regenerative agriculture looks like. So I feel really passionately about that and definitely want to get more kind of glamp sites if I can here. And then ultimately, as I've said before, maybe even host, you know, executive retreats here. And so this is definitely something that right now, um, you know, this is just the beginning and I'm sort of easing into it. It's also honestly, you know, we're, we're recording this in August, you know, the season will come to an end quite quickly here. The weather will shut us down. Um, and so it's just a really nice way to kind of dip our toes into the water. And then we'll spend another winter just like we were planning and plotting and working things out last winter. We'll do that this coming winter too and say, what is the plan if we want to make this bigger? What could that look like? And what's the timing associated with it? And Jesse, you know, obviously you and I have worked together in the past and I know how passionate you are about filmmaking and, and personally, I don't ever see you never not being a filmmaker. Um, but you also mentioned that you have help, uh, another person that's really helping manage part of the operation. Uh, do you feel like you've kind of kicked something off and that might be something, as you mentioned, delegating, handing that off and having it be kind of a full-time thing where you're just managing from afar or and please don't ever say you're not going to stop making films, but would you just stop making films and just run a glamshuary the rest of your life? No, I think your instinct is right. I don't, I don't ever want to <laughs> stop making films, but I could envision a time where it's like, I just want to make this one project this year um, because the, the revenue uh, pressure isn't there, you know? Um, so I don't think I'll, it'll ever be like a, a switch that I flip, but I've like loved just going out to the property once a week, making some firewood, making some kindling, listening to the birds. Like it's a good excuse for me to be outside in a place that I love. And like, honestly, just the notes from people that we've gotten, you know, in our first half dozen or so stays have been like really meaningful. Like it's, um, it's doing what we hoped and that's really cool. Like, I think, you know, in our film and TV work, like I love our product too, but it's a different kind of rewarding uh what, what we've started here but i i love them in concert and I'm, I'm i'm hoping that i can you know keep doing the film and, and tv work and maybe just split the time a little bit more so i'm spending a little bit of time on, on hospitality at, at the outpost and then you know still the majority of the time on film and tv um but over time too i'd love to you know do more with events where we we have you know an all-day birding foraging planting nature walks and then a big meal or things that would require a bit more time and effort that I just can't quite swing right now, given the level, you know, the volume of work we're doing um, production wise. But I think over time, you know, I don't want to be a road warrior forever like I am in production. So sticking closer to home, that would make that possible. So I think it is sort of a like retirement career look down the road too. Um, but I think it'll just be you know, it won't be like all or one at one time. It'll be like maybe a gradual move into that. Yeah. And obviously there's probably a ton of content that you can capture with an event that you might have on your property or just in general, just nature happening all over the 18 acres. I'm sure it's endless as to what you can photograph or what you can video. Another thing that was always kind of forefront in my head, especially in talking to you, Jesse, is that you do so many of these documentaries where you're, you're me. <laughs> You're on the other side of the camera asking the questions. Yeah. What was this process like for you uh, being uh, the person that's getting asked the questions and that and that's being on the other side of, of that whole entire process and 
while you were actually living it. So it wasn't like a recount of this is what happened. You're in the middle of it. And so some of, some of it, you have no idea what's going to happen yet. Uh, it can be exciting, terrifying, both. What was that like? You're my property therapist. You're my build therapist. Like I could work through what was happening in real time with you, you know, like, oh, Bob, you'll never guess what happened, this, you know, this time. The county wants, says we have to do this. Like, yeah, I, you're like the person I process it with, with um, you know, my partner, Jen, and, and with Anne. But it's been great to just, you know, both talk to you and then and then listen in to what, Etienne, what you're, you know, what you're dealing with. And there's parallels, you know, both in our values for why we're doing this, but also some of the hurdles or challenges we've had to overcome too. So it's, it's been fun to process that and like see what someone else is, is happening in their journey too. And at the end, you know, obviously, as we just mentioned, you were on a, a really accelerated timeline. So you were, we were really like, I wonder if this, what's going to happen next week. I wonder if the A-frame's going to go up. I wonder if, the, you know, what was this like for you? Cause you always come across so calm and cool and collected. Um, it was a mix. So definitely, you know, I think I've said before, overall for the process, you know, I was losing sleep and it was very stressful and I really wanted to meet that deadline. Um, but in terms of recording the podcast with you, I never really had any issue with it. It was, you know, well, if I'm failing, I'll fail publicly. That's okay because that's life, right? Um, and if we're, you know, if we're doing this to be a value, then we want other people to see they can learn from our mistakes so they can see where we got tripped up um, and and plan, you know, to kind of detour around around those things. So I never felt any trepidation um, about coming on here and saying, we don't know, don't know if it's going to be okay or it wasn't okay or yay, it was okay. Um, just to kind of report transparently um, along the way actually felt good. It felt um, realistic. Yeah. That's awesome. And speaking of learning, I know a lot of people have contacted me and said that through watching you guys and on your journey, they've learned so much about what it entails. And honestly, we probably were just scratching the surface. There's so much more that we didn't have a chance to talk about. What was a big learning for you, Etienne, you know, in this process of, of you know, what you kind of thought would happen and then maybe something that just came out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, honestly, one of the big takeaways that I haven't talked about before, I, I, well, one that I have talked about before was the, the the planning and the permitting and the zoning and the paperwork and all of that. I really didn't know what I would be in for with that. Um, but one of the other big takeaways that I haven't talked about is just how expensive everything is. Um, and, you know, um, I would, you know, maybe I would find, like I found a an apron sink that was, um, you know, really cheap on a good deal, or I would find, you know, doors on Facebook marketplace or at the local reuse center. And sometimes the savings you're getting by getting something on sale or that's slightly kind of off the wall, you're spending that and more, um, as contractors scratch their heads and try and make that work or fit that into something. And so I really didn't realize I'd kind of done a tally of all the things I would need to buy, but I really didn't realize like just in terms of man hours and labor. And of course people should be well compensated for, for what they're doing. And, you know, I'd encourage more people. I wish there were more people going into the trades and that we made that seem like um, a more aspirational kind of path that you shouldn't have to go to college. You should be able to be in the trades, but I really just hadn't anticipated how much everything costs. So that was a, a big kind of shock to me. Jesse, how about you? I, I know that you put a lot of attention into some portions of your property that were very specific on detail and, and you couldn't just, you know, go down to the local supermarket and pick up, you know, the hot tub or the sauna. There were some specifics, you know, was, was there anything for you that kind of jumped out, whether it's cost wise or, or process wise, that was kind of eye opening? 
Yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing theme in my life, both professional and personal, that things take longer than I think. And uh, this was no <laughs> exception and probably more so to the degree and also costs like the same thing. Like I had some idea. I mean, we've done some minimal home remodels in the past. So like I knew some of those costs, but like putting in a septic or a well or a driveway is significant. And so, you know, I'm looking at this property as very much a long-term investment, both on what we, how we use it, but also like we expect to have it in, you know, in our family for a long, long time too. So I'm also looking at like, you know, 20, 30 years from now, would we want that? Yes. Okay. Then it's okay to do it now too. And so I'm taking that long view and I think that's helped with like absorbing like, okay, it's okay that it's costing this much or taking this much now. Um, but yeah, that's definitely been a learning. I think one of the other things is what we had talked about before Bobby, in terms of like, you know, there's the County process of like permitting for things. Sometimes the county's not totally sure and they check in with the state and we got different answers from different people on something and it recently just reversed again. So it's, I guess I, what I learned from that is to like keep pushing and like doing your own research and contacting people on your own because ultimately, you know, we found an engineer that said, actually, this code says this county and they're like, oh, okay, here's your permit. Um, so it's not just black or white, like just like anything else, your due diligence can significantly pay off. So it's, it's, it's worth doing it. Yeah. I think that's sage advice. And I think that's a healthy way to approach anything that you're going to view. Like you just mentioned as a long-term investment is at the short sighted side of things, it can seem like a lot, but if you actually extrapolate out what that cost is per day over 30 years, all of a sudden it becomes like a couple pennies a day and you're like, Oh, okay. That, that's a different way to frame it up. Um, well, Obviously, I wanted to get you guys together to have a conversation, and I've asked a lot of questions throughout the entire podcast, and you guys have been amazing at, at answering them, and I appreciate it. Is there any questions that you guys have for each other? Because you both watched each other's journey, <laughs> and again, like I think we scratched the surface on many things, but I also know just in talking with you and then seeing the industry and seeing how people have put their glamping resorts up, there's so much that goes into it. Is there anything that you guys want to ask each other, uh, be it about Wisconsin, be it about your properties? <laughs> At the end, I know you had some questions for Jesse. Uh, what would you like to ask? I do. Uh, this one, it sounds like it's in the small points department, but it was such a big deal to me. and It was so hard to get my head around. So my driveway, I had to um, widen my driveway. And then in certain places, I actually had to reroute it in order to widen it because we had things like streams or, you know, a kind of sheer rock face. And so we had to kind of reroute it. And so I spent a lot of money. I was hoping originally that I would have two or three cabins and I have just one because the rest of the cabin money is now lying as gravel on my driveway. And so did you have to do, what were the specs you had to follow for your driveway? Is it 20 foot wide? And did you have to have pullovers for pull-off areas for emergency vehicles? What's the, how kind of compliant did you have to be with your driveway? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, so when we got um, the permit for the driveway, mostly it had to do with like culverts and cause there's some, you know, mm -hmm. some lower lens where water would flow mm -hmm. into the lake mm -hmm. that we're on. Um, so that was something that I didn't anticipate that we had to like figure out exactly where those needed to be. And then the town of Samson, like the town commissioner, there, there, there are government positions that I wasn't aware of that, like, oh, you got to call him. And, 
this is his, you know, home phone because he's, you know, he's yeah. a volunteer in this way. So I'd be like, call him and say, when, can, when can we come out and look at it? Um, so that was something. And then also just like, if you're going to gravel, like what's the amount? Because like if you want to be passable in the wet season, right, it's like if you don't have gravel, you're not getting down that road when either the snow is melting or, you know, after big rain. So I think those things like figuring out the culvert situation and the gravel were the big things for me and that added the most to the to the cost too so that was interesting um but i ultimately i think i'm i'm glad we did it and i i take definitely taking that long view because it is probably the most you know significant investment outside of you know obviously the the land itself and then the the cabin like that's that was more than the septic that was more than the well that was more than you know everything else but um i think it'll it'll serve us well and allow that if we do want to put another cabin or something you know we'll already have that there so once you start adding more of those the cost per unit goes down significantly too and that's something i had heard elsewhere too yeah that's great insights i suppose so much up front is the infrastructure um which you can then kind of build on I love that you gave a little shout out there and I feel like I should give a shout out too to everyone who's working at that town and township level on a volunteer basis that's helping folks like us navigate it because there really isn't a rule book, um, you know, the kind of zoning, planning, and then even right down to same, we had the same guy who's, you know, not the same guy, but same situation. He's a volunteer calling him on his cell phone, getting him at home. He's coming off to work to look at the driveway and scope it out with me and work out how we can do it. And, um, you know, all that time is, is free. They're not getting paid for that. And so they do a marvelous job of helping us kind of have flexibility within a framework, I think, um, you know, wanting to enable us and empower us, but also obviously we need to follow the rules. And so um, shout out to everyone who does that job. It's not, not an easy job. Yeah. I, I can only imagine the kind of questions that people at the, at that level get Yeah, <laughs> from, from yeah. people that have, have no idea. And they're just starting out asking very, you know, introductory questions to perhaps people that have been doing it for years that are very experienced on maybe rewriting ordinances and they're going to start to attack it that way. So yeah, and I think there's probably a lot of work that needs to be done there too with this growing sector of business because it, it is new and often misunderstood. And I think at the end, I know you've mentioned it, Jesse, I think you've mentioned it as well, that some of the things that are written in place for as far as permitting and ordinances are uh, kind of archaic and they don't necessarily apply to what people are trying to do now. Um, what are your thoughts kind of in general with where the business is and, and what you feel travel is becoming? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think obviously COVID reframed what travel is for a lot of people, but not just in the fact of like, you don't have to go so far, but I mean, if you are staying close to home, how do you make that experience feel really novel? And it's funny, I was just talking to a guest on our Open Air Humans podcast last week about this. It's like learning once you learn more about like the plant ecology the flora that is in a place um it makes any kind of travel different because you're looking closer and it can make he was saying he was talking about like the first time he went out and picked wild blueberries and he was like i was in a completely different landscape it was like i had traveled to some you know far off land yet it was just an hour outside of where i live so i think you can look closer and have a deeper, more meaningful connection without going as far in a, in a lot of ways. And I think we want to hopefully be a place where people can lean into that if they do want to. You can either go and just relax and restore, or if you want to go learn something, you can do that 
and have an experience that maybe you didn't know you could have so so close to home for people that are coming from you know an urban area not not far away it can seem like a really different novel landscape if you take the time to look close, closer and, and just get to know it better yeah and at the end you know I, you we've mentioned and we've talked about your your sustainability practice professional life and trying to fuse that into now what you're able to offer on the farm and and what that could lead to as far as bringing more people together to have these conversations happen on a broader schedule. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of the travel industry, how it could be impactful that way as an educational tool and, and how you could be a part of that? Yeah, I think that bioregional um, economies, bioregional travel and tourism, I think things happening at a more local and regional level is a trend that we will continue to see. Uh, everyone has seen, you know, this summer, for example, fantastic holiday destinations in flames, roads, Greece, Hawaii. Um, and I think people are really starting to realize that there is a responsibility that they have with choosing where they fly and when they fly. Um, and I think also COVID, to Jesse's point, was a great reframe because even though we couldn't you know, travel very far, people had fantastic holidays together. And um, I certainly, I have a, an Airbnb, as I said, in a village nearby, and we would get the family where the grown brother is in Minneapolis and the grown sister is in Chicago, or maybe someone's in Milwaukee, and they would all come together and rent the house with their kids for a week. And they were leaving, you know, my guest book that this was like the best vacation they'd had. And it was because they had that quality time together. And maybe those families wouldn't have all vacationed together. Maybe they would have gone on planes at separate times for their, I don't know, week in Mexico or whatever. Um, and so I do think think I think that the climate crisis will force us to travel more locally but I also truly believe that the sense of community and belonging that we get from being connected at that bioregional more local level is a reward in and of itself that will encourage and, and kind of beget more um, growth in that area too speaking of connectivity how do people get connected with the both of you Jesse uh... <laughs> What are the social channels? What's the website? Uh, how can people come and stay with you? Sure. Yeah, easiest is uh, openairoutpost.com. Um, the only social channel we've ventured into is Instagram. Um, I, I, I'm at that age where I find like more than one social channel to be overwhelming. Like, <laughs> it's like you should get on TikTok. I'm like, I just, I can't do it. I'm 41. I can't, I can't start a new one at this point. <laughs> I'm like one and done. Um, so yeah, we're on Instagram. Otherwise, um, openairoutpost.com. Cool. At the end, now yours, yours is a different story, obviously, because it was an Airbnb contest. So where can people access uh, the idyllic cheese cabin? Yeah. And so this only exists because of Airbnb. And so one of the kind of rules of the contest, which I completely understand and agree with, is that it can only be listed on Airbnb for the first year. Um, I was already working with Airbnb for my other property. Um, so if you look under OMG, the OMG section, you can find I'm the only cheese wedge that you can stay in anywhere in the world uh, on Airbnb. It's so pretty easy to find there. Um, if you want to find me personally for any of the sustainability related things that um, you might want to pick up on and be in conversation on, really the best social media that I'm on the most, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but is LinkedIn. And so you can find me as Etienne White on LinkedIn. Um, and I am sporadically on Instagram too, um, under Hearts on Farm. Cool. Well, 
I want to, again, extend a huge thank you to both of you for participating in season two. Uh, I think it was a huge success. I had a ton of fun talking to you guys, and I learned a lot, and I think other people did as well. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for bringing us all together and for uh, you asked such great questions all the way through and gave such good encouragement too. So it's been a lovely experience. Thank you. Yeah, it's been wonderful, Bobby. Thanks for being the the sounding board and sharing uh, these two journeys as they unfolded. Pretty cool. I appreciate it, guys. It was 100% my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. I'd like to thank Jesse and Etienne one more time for their time and participation in Season 2 of the Glamshuary podcast. And I'd like to offer them a big congratulations for getting their Glamshuaries open. I can't wait to visit them both. And I'd also like to thank all of you, the listeners, the followers, the watchers, everyone that participated in the Glamshuary podcast. Can't thank you enough, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to follow along on the Glam Shore podcast, we'll be launching season three in the fall, and you can do so on our website, which is www.glamshore.com. Again, that is www.glamptuary.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Pandora, YouTube. We don't care where you follow us. We just ask that you follow. So until we see each other again, be well, and we'll see you in season three.